Hi guys, we are back. It's Steve and George, although this is George speaking, I'm going to say your name first, Steve, because it comes first on the title and I thought I'd defer to your, you know, your Twitter followers and all that stuff. Sure, sure. <laughs> Tickle the old ego. Um, we're coming at you with another podcast, Steve, and uh, dare I say, I think we've slightly mixed up the brief once again. Um, no, no, come on. How, 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 how do you figure that? Ah, well, we're going to be talking to you today or recommending to you, I suppose, our favourite or just some some great short novels to sort of sink your teeth into in response to the podcast we did a couple of episodes ago about whether culture is getting too long. And uh, when we spoke earlier about arranging this one, I think we had different ideas of the page length that we'd be operating at. Right. So you said, well, I went, we said roughly under 200, but you've got it as under 150. Well, you know, you know concision is king i mean you were banging on about this in the last podcast and now you're bloating things up i was well you know what i did you know 150 could have been an ideal but i, I actually found it's quite tricky to find fiction that's under 150 um yeah unless you, unless you swiftly move to the children's section <laughs> in which case there's a, there's a as, gamut of stuff. as a man for the last few years who has just about limped his way to 100 books a year believe me the children's section bears a lot of fruit in those final months um, <laughs> um yeah, um, so we've you know we've got a good a good haul though I think I think we've got a good grab bag and uh, I, I don't think we we came to a did we come to a consensus about whether culture is too long or not What did we say I think we just thought it was a bit subjective. It was it was a hot potato to be sure and and people <laughs> have opinions on it but I think no I, I think it was a mix between do we have enough time for mm. big bloated cultural things now and also yeah. It, I guess it was my irateness at feeling that some authors test my patience or some TV showrunners test my patience with hour long episodes in eight seasons. Well, I guess the, I mean, you can very easily dislike a short novel, but it's a, it's a fairly disposable undertaking, right? It's a really, it's a really good way into getting your, if you want to read more, it's a great way to just rack up a few more titles and sample a few more kind of delights. Yeah. And I think, I think obligated to finish something. Yeah, and I think as we'll find here, there are just some real gems that really do it right. Where you know it's it's brief, it's economical, but it also actually feels like a worthwhile experience. So, yeah. from having, definitely a different skill, right? From the writer's point of view, they're kind of using different muscles for sure. And if you if you haven't dabbled in fiction in a while, this is your chance. So you're going to have a good list here. So um yeah, let's uh let's jump right in, Georgie boy. What uh what's your short little gem? I'm going to work my way up um through page counts. So I'm going to start with the lowest um under 150, sure, and uh work work my way up. The first one I'm coming at you with is fantastic book um very experimental piece of writing it's called grief is the thing with feathers by max porter oh i've seen this in many places and never picked it up oh do pick it up it's it's fantastic um he was in the in london specifically i don't know if they're anywhere else in the uk but there's a chain of bookstores called daunt books and the the chap that runs those is now the CEO of Waterstones, which is the kind of most prominent bookshop in the UK. And the author of, of this grief is the thing with feathers used to be one of the 
I think one of the store managers for Daunt and they're just a super well curated bookshop and have some really good stuff on the table displays. We had one really close to our flat when we lived together, right? And it's just a great place to sort of stop in and they have really well put together table recommendations and staff picks and things. So I kind of trust their trust their guidance and he's uh, he's really come to the fore with this. So this was his debut. Novel's probably a bit of a stretch. It mixes fiction and poetry and the general conceit is that there is a, a father of some children and the mother has died and he's helping them cope with the grief process and grief is embodied in the character of crow the ted hughes character from the ted hughes kind of nature poems and um yeah it's very powerful very sad but very beautifully put together and the kind of way he embodies emotion as a tool to kind of talk to children who may otherwise not be able to understand the the big issues they're dealing with. It's fantastic. A, a really great book. It's 114 pages. You can read it in a sitting. And uh, yeah, it's supposed to be, well, is very affecting and um, a great debut. His second novel's just come out. It's a bit longer, so we won't talk about that here, but I think he's a British writer who's here to stay. Interesting. And so wait, how many, how many things has he written? That's his first novel. He's just published a second book. I think that's called Lanny or Lanny. Oh, wow. Lanny, I think. So yeah, just the two novels. This was maybe three years ago. Yeah, and that was a big hit. The grief is a thing with peppers, right? Um, yeah, for a kind of independent. I'm trying to think who the publisher was. It was quite a small print, but um, unless it was Faber, I'm not sure off the top of my head. But did did really really well, and um, yeah, great book. Highly recommended. It's great stuff, and Wikipedia tells me it's 114 pages, so... Not bad at all. Very, very tight there. Um, I'm going to go for... My first pick is going to be a book I read quite a while ago, but it was my first introduction to this author who's written many other good things, Uh, and it's the very slim novel A Single Man by Christopher Isherwood. Has that, has that popped on your list, George? Or? It certainly has. It's not on this list, but it's a book that I have read before. It's fantastic. Um, yeah, very, you know, it's very short. It's kind of a, it's a single day, I believe, uh, in the life of a man named George, uh, a middle-aged Englishman who's a professor at LA University, at a Los Angeles University. I don't think it says. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's, he's kind of bereaved his, uh, his lover, lover Jim has died and it's kind of him. It's a a short meditation basically on grief and a man who's sort of contemplating whether I guess his life is worth living or not. Bit of a miserable first two we've gone for. (laughs) Yeah. Double uh, the grief sandwich, Um, (laughs) the double bill, uh, yeah, and he, uh, it's, a, it's a kind of really beautiful meditation. The writing is excellent. Um, and uh, it just feels like, yeah, it's, the, it's just a complete thing from this character's point of view and every thought he's having from waking up and the people he just meets throughout his day. And it's, it's not an extremely consequential day in terms of the things that happen, but certain things affect him in certain way and certain conversations. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's just that. It's just a very... It's it's kind of what I like about you know talking about brevity is it it perfectly does everything with that theme what it's trying to say it doesn't feel like oh this this uh you know this could have done with two hundred pages more mm. character development or exposition the whole you get the backstory you understand where the character is from the moment you're in it and you're just feeling what he's feeling and it's like mm. wow that 
that completely does what it set out to do and it didn't need more than it's like 150 odd pages yeah for sure it's um it's also a great film i would say well a yeah beautiful film certainly a beautiful adaptation i don't know if it's a great film but really well done for the kind of fairly like yeah contained and slightly limited source material is that what the debut of tom ford the the sort of fashion direct the fashion house kind of designer guy is his debut direct directorial venture right yeah, Tom Ford, right? Yeah, so it's a very like aesthetically pleasing film and really well cast. And well yeah. And, yeah, yeah, it's got Nicholas Holt in it. It's uh, yeah, it's really beautiful the film mm. as well. So yeah, I recommend both. Pipe us on, George. What next? Book number two on my list, Steve. Two pages longer is Train Dreams by Dennis Johnson. Who's um, kind of very lauded and recently deceased American writer, famous for uh, Jesus' Son collection of short stories and some other longer pieces. This is the only thing of his I've read. Read it quite recently, but fantastic um, about kind of turn of the century America from yeah, the late 1800s onwards. Very powerful again. Lot, lots of like death and bereavement and grief, but. Um, just cap- captures a period and lots of it's set in the redwood forests of California and really evokes that place incredibly well. Um, and yeah, does it with really well controlled short paragraphs and short um, chapters. And it was a bit bizarrely though, it was one of the two finalists. So I'm not quite sure how the process works, but it was, I suppose finalist is the right word. One of the two picks for the, uh, the Pulitzer Prize for fiction in either 2012 or 13. I'm not 100% sure, but it was a year that they didn't pick a winner. So the final came down to this and the unfinished kind of posthumous work of um, David Foster Wallace, I think, Pearl King. Um, But they they never picked a winner and they just didn't award a prize that year, which I found very strange. This was a book that, would be able to wear that crown and justify doing so. There was a really interesting piece in, let's say, The New Yorker by Michael Cunningham, who is an author who's won the Pulitzer Prize himself and he was on the the panel and he kind of talks through the process and the decision-making and everything. And it's it's a really interesting insight into the kind of literary world of prize-giving and what happens behind the scenes. And it just happens to be that this book was involved in you know the kind of drama that came with that but um i'd recommend anyone picking it up dennis johnson great writer very affecting kind of turn of the century americana and could you give the title again just so people can note it yeah train dreams train dreams 116 pages oh you're beating me every time here really yours are really slim (laughs) um yeah very svelte novels um Okay, I'm trying to make sure the one I'm about to say is definitely short enough. <laughs> um, so, okay, we'll do a different one first. I'll look it up while we talk. Um, so the next one I'm going to go to is going to be... Um, I'm going to go for a novel by... <gasps> Are you picking it as we speak? Are you going through your shelf as we're talking? Well, I have my list and I'm just deciding which ones to do, but I guess if we're going to do them all, then it's fine. Um, 
So I'm going to go for one that's very easy to read, very interesting and kind of kind of funny. Uh, and it's a book by John Fonte called Ask the Dust. Mm. Um, have you read that book? I have. I read your copy of it while you were on holiday a couple of years ago. read my copy. Yeah. Um, one thing, see, I think this book is good if you, I think this book is very good if you're someone who is trying to get back into fiction because it's very readable. I think it doesn't, its last third is maybe not as great as the first. The first two thirds are better, I think. But I think it's kind of a book that was very influential to Charles Bukowski and some of those American writers um, at a time when it was much more about, it was like quite an early, an early version of being quite naked and honest in mm-hmm. fiction about the struggle. It's about a, a guy who's a kind of, a bit of a ridiculous figure called Arturio Bandini. And he's kind of, he's kind of got these big dreams uh, of being a writer in Los Angeles and he kind of lives in poverty and he may, you know, he writes a short story that makes a bit of money and sort of gets ahead of himself and starts having these sort of ridiculous grandiose dreams of how great a writer he is and how different his life's going to be and, with women and how he's going to use that success. And it's kind of like a nice, um, slightly cynical look at the sort of grandiosity of maybe, I don't know, you could say making art for the wrong reasons, or maybe just the grandiosity of the sort of ludicrousness of those dreams someone can have of like, this is what's going to happen when the world recognizes my art and my greatness. Uh, And it's kind of the, the silliness of that, which is actually a, a theme. There's kind of a good parallel book with it. This is a bit longer, but it's a, a George Orwell book called keep the Aspidistra flying, mm-hmm. which is actually kind of a similar idea by the, and it's about this guy who lives in London and lives a very sort of down and dirty impoverished life in a, a, a bookshop. But he also has these fantasies and he makes a bit of money then immediately goes and spends it all on a ridiculous dinner trying to Mm. to impress his friends and it's kind of two similar novels actually but um yeah i think that one's a good sort of quintessential sort of la there's a kind of cynical novel about writing it's a bit more a bit easier to sort of stomach than something like bukowski as well right it's it's a it's a bit less kind of jarring and not as sordid as bukowski i mean I think Bukowski has some great stuff, but uh, yeah, it's definitely more... It's a bit more of an acquired taste, I would say. Yeah, I, th- I think this one's a bit more palatable um, and it, it's very like very readable, again, um, mm. if you haven't been in fiction in a while. So, yeah. yeah. yeah nice, nice pick. Um, shoot me another, Georgie Boy. <laughs> uh, book three, Steve, for me, is the 132-page Mothering Sunday by Graham Swift. Um, uh, a, lo- a lovely book with a lovely cover, Steve. It has a Medigliani um, kind of reclining, semi-nude portrait as the cover. Um, so it's quite an eye catcher. What's this called? What's this called? Let me look it up. Mothering Sunday by Graham Swift. Okay. Um, again, quite a kind of concise, uh, beautifully constructed novel about the goings on between kind of the upstairs downstairs world of a a country house again just a bit later than the turn of the century i suppose between the wars kind of period in in the in the uk london maybe um but just really well drawn characters 
And uh, yeah, a beautifully controlled piece of writing from him, if you like anything that's, yeah, kind of British class system sort of stuff. It fits the bill really well. Easy to read in a sitting. And I would say a really good gateway into his his writing. I've not read a ton of a ton of his books, but I just finished. On the advice of one of our our dear friends, Ben, actually, a book, a book by him called Waterland, which is not super long, maybe 350 pages, but is a lot denser and a lot more packed together, whereas Mothering Sunday is, yeah, a bit of, you know, just a bit more accessible and kind of what you see is what you get, I suppose. But um, he's a, a great writer, one of the one of the preeminent living British novelists, I would say. And this is a really nice way into his broader body of work. Um, lovely. And I, I will say, I did look up the cover, and it's definitely not safe for work. If any, of you are. <laughs> well, when you go I mean, in, it's safe enough to be in just a bookshop. So I imagine it's. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's art. It's Steve. art, it's art yeah. isn't it? It's fine. Yeah. Um, uh, it's just a uh, topless nude lady, so <laughs> be prepared for that. Um, uh, yeah, that's great. Um, well, I've re- been recommended that now and Waterland by our friend Ben, so apparently I need to read some Graham Swift. <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to jump to that one I was talking about because it's a very short philosophical novel, George. Mm. Uh, no, it's not the work of Mr. Albert Camus, <laughs> which is the predictable choice for a short philosophical fiction. Uh, no, I've gone for the book by the great philosopher Voltaire, Condide. Um, have you read Condide? I haven't, no. Uh, so Condide is like a... It's... Um, it mean, well, it's called Condide or Optimism. Um, but it's basically a kind of satirical, you know, Voltaire was this kind of provocateur, uh, kind of wrote things that were often quite mocking of his society or certain ideas that were going around at the time. And he's uh, French. He's French, yes. Um, and Condide is sort of his, I guess his opus, but it's a, it's a novel about a fictional character named Condide and his adventures with uh, his, his sort of tutor, Pangloss. And this is where the term Panglossian comes. When people describe someone as Panglossian, it means they're sort of overly rosily optimistic or idealistic about the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's one for your dictionary to describe someone as Panglossian. Um, it's a challenge for the week. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like someone who has easy answers or overly idealistic answers. Um, and basically it's like Condide sets out from his home and goes on all these terrible kind of misadventures, really. Like lots of, he, he witnesses lots of suffering and sort of just bad things happening in the world and wars and silly, petty things. And it's basically his his tutor, Pangloss, is kind of coming up with all these uh, elaborate reasons why these things happen and why this is the best of all possible worlds. And it's kind of a mockery of, um, there was a philosopher at the time called, I don't I think you pronounce it Leibniz or Leibniz. Mm, like um, the chocolate biscuit. Sure, sure. Like the Choco Leibniz biscuits. Um, and uh, yeah, he sort of had this, this sort of best of all possible worlds idea. I don't know a lot about him as a philosopher, but he was someone at the time who was around and, and sort of uh, Voltaire was kind of ridiculing these certain rationalists who would have a kind of um, 
they would have a too perfect philosophy of the world of, of, you know, how human beings could be rational and perfected and, you know, just kind of rosy optimistic philosophy. And so he kind of, yeah, it's kind of like a, it's often very humorous in a dark way, but it's kind of, it's ridiculing a lot of these things, these kind of beliefs, I guess, that people cling to whether it's like governments or religion or in the hope of certain ideals and ideologies that are going to kind of explain everything and and uh in a way it's like yeah just kind of voltaire kind of like laughing at the follies of our nature in the face of these our attempts to kind of um make the world perfect and work and uh but it is a piece of fiction is it or is it a piece, yeah it's a it's a fictional sort of uh small journey um and is they it, kind of have is this it readable or is it quite sort of bogged down in philosophy and needing to be au fait with kind of well, technology? Well, I, I guess the style may be a bit more old-fashioned, obviously. Mm. And I, I actually listened to it on audiobook and it was actually very effective in that format because okay. I think maybe the dialogue between them works better and, and having yeah. the character's voices. But um, it's... Uh, yeah, it's kind of a it's a it's not a novel that's got a simple, easy message though. It's not a kind of like, you know, it's an anti philosophy or anti religion or something. It's it's kind of its kind of end is is debated and there's this idea of like we must tend our own garden at the end and people sort of debate quite what Voltaire was trying to say about that, whether it's like we can only we can only focus on our tiny circle and, and the world we can't really change or, you know it was kind of debated what he meant, but yeah, it's just kind of a, it's kind of a funny, cynical uh, kind of look at the, I guess the pretenses of philosophy at times. Very good. Very nice. Shall I fire back at you? Uh, yeah, please. I'm going to Steve. I've, I've broached 150 pages now. So we're, we're, uh, we're up in, up in the gods a bit. Um, I'm going to come at you with, oh, what would I describe this as? Maybe sort of stunt gimmick fiction, but I would also say it's the best whole novel written by this author, and it is Time's Arrow by Martin Amis. It's 165 oh. pages. Okay. Um, I really love Martin Amis's writing, but I would stick my neck out and say that of all the novels of his I've read, none of them is an entirely great book. Money, possibly the the best of the longer works but there's still some it's still possibly a bit over long a bit baggy and you kind of get the point earlier on than than it needs to go on for i would say yeah i agree with that anyway um and in a way that i think people level that it's a kind of to a degree a british american psycho in some ways like hedonism and greed and all of those things but american psycho for all its sins kind of uses its length and its repetitions kind of bludgeon the point into you and that's sort of what it's doing i I don't feel money has exactly the same agenda so the accusations of length are a little bit more justified towards it so yeah whereas time's arrow i just feel that it is kind of it is a bit of a stunt it's a bit of a gimmick but it's this very very talented author using using a, a conceit where he he runs the plot and everything that happens backwards and that that's how it works and there's some incredible imagery in there and very affecting imagery you could say it's a stunt and a gimmick but 165 pages it's kind of nice to see a very talented writer do something like that um 
So yeah, I, I would say it's it's a really good way into his writing. I think it does kind of polarize people, but I found it very powerful and very affecting and uh, yeah, would recommend it for sure. Yeah, I feel like nearly everything Martin Amos writes is polarizing. He's one of those pe- he's one of those people who just seems to yeah, seems to have a naturally divisive nature as a writer. Yeah. Um, you you kind of have a, a positive or a negative and not really a lot in between, but uh Have you read yeah. Times Arrow? I haven't read that one. I've read uh, a couple of his, but not Times Arrow. Okay. No. Um, yeah, okay, lovely. Um, I'm going to go on to one that may arguably be the most obvious choice for a short fiction uh, masterpiece, but I, I just feel like I have to include it because it, it's a book I've always thought is fantastic, and it's The Old Man and the Sea by Hemingway. Lovely. Um, you know, Hemingway is, I guess, the master of economy in a lot of ways. A lot of his short stories are fantastic. Um, probably his best work is often in his short stories, actually. And uh, I think the one I mentioned a while ago was almost this, it's kind of a short novella called The Short Happy Life of Francis Macomber, which is a, which is a great short story he wrote. But The Old Man and the Sea uh, sort of finally won him the Nobel Prize, Um later on in his life and it's uh you know it's just does a lot with a little and it's uh it's almost a book i would tell someone to read you know the simple the, uh, the simplest the story is an old man uh, with a young boy it's the title right yeah an old man with a young boy goes to sea to try and catch an inordinately large fish yeah and has a and nearly kills himself doing it and has a lot That's of a hell of a time doing it yeah yeah um and sort of doesn't give up and there's a big sort of man versus the elements trying to you know uh trying to fight against them theme there but it's uh yeah it's um you know it's got Hemingway's things of being a bit you know his usual sort of being a bit macho, being all about being a strong, rugged man, that sort of thing. But uh, if I was sort of telling someone who wanted to learn to write, just just to learn to write full stop, along with a few other things, I would probably hand them this as a way to write. You know, most people's problem is they write with too much complexity, too much obscurity, maybe convoluted. If, uh, if I was giving someone anything, it would be take this book, and you can see how you can write simply and effectively. It's sort um, of, in many ways, it's the opposite of Time's Arrow in that there's not really a gimmick at work, right? It's just kind of straight to the point, direct, effective writing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's as it's as kind of clear and simple. You could tell you could tell the story to a child essentially, and I think you know it could almost it's written at the level where I don't think there's a word in there like a child wouldn't understand mm. sort of thing. Um, so uh yeah what's, what's the page count john oh the page count of old man to see i think it may even be it could even be a hundred under a hundred pages Whew. i mean that's you're making up ground aren't you with that <laughs> if we're running a tally that was my banker um <laughs> yeah so uh yeah just good clean simple writing wholesome fun <laughs> yeah wholesome fun not Oh, actually, oh no, it says 127. I'm sorry, oh, that was page right. count. Um, it's not It's not a laugh a minute like a lot of Hemingway stuff. Um, <laughs> if anything, you could argue at times Hemingway suffers from being a bit humorless, but um, yeah. but it's a but it's a very gripping story. Lovely stuff. Um, um, I'm going to come back at you, Steve, with something that you would think is is uh, 
is very thematically continuous from the title you've offered. Mine is The Sailor Who Fell From Grace With The Sea. So you can see, you can obviously see the connections there, can't you? But see the influence. I mean, it's a bit <laughs> derivative. But... <laughs> uh, so this is a short novel by an author I've championed on our podcast before, the Japanese writer Yukio Mishima. Um, and uh, this Mishima. is definitely a great, a great way into his writing. It's a dark and uh, sinister tale of a, a child and his friends. Uh, his mother has taken a new lover. And that's the sailor of the title. And they are not best pleased with it, Steve. So they they kind of conspire to stitch him right up, shall we say. Um, it's dark as anything, but, yeah, really gripping. It's 181 pages in the edition I read. And, um, yeah, a great piece of Japanese writing. Probably, probably his best kind of contained work. It doesn't have as many grand themes about Japanese history and kind of the place of Japan in the post-war world at play. It's more, I would say, more of just a character piece and about about the people within the text there and then, very contained. But if you like, it's a kind of gothic tale, I guess. If you like that kind of thing, you will, you will enjoy this for sure. So, yeah, can't recommend it enough. Uh, lovely. Bit, of, bit more Mishima on the show. I've always said we needed it. <laughs> um, and the... Uh, That'll be a theme that will come up soon, George, when we reveal oh, some of plans later in the year. Oh, a teaser. Teaser. Stay tuned. Um, we'll be back with Mishima. Um, the, uh, okay, next one I do, George. It may be a bit of a cheat. And Here we go. If you tell me off for it, I'll give you a different one. But um, this is uh, one that both you and I have enjoyed. Um, but it's probably a novella. Um, so I don't know oh god I can hear him grumbling already um, come on it's going to be the novella Chess by Stefan Zweig ah, that's, ah come on that's... are you are you counting that as a short a long short story <laughs> yeah I, th- I think it is and I'm going to tell you why Steve it's because Penguin publish it in that collection of kind of short easy to read novellas that I think you'd be hard pressed to say it's a full length a full length novel it's okay, fabulous well, it's absolutely fabulous and i encourage encourage you all to get out there and read it but I, well i think you're you stretching know, things a little bit to be honest mate i mean if we just if i just call this episode short fiction then i've sort of you're the kingmaker aren't you you get to come up with the title so you can do whatever you want <laughs> well look i think our readers will you know they'll rather have the great recommendation so um if you want a very high class piece of short fiction um, for if my you money, don't care about the rules. Then. <laughs> All right, granddad. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, uh, it's called Chess or a Chess Story by well, Stefan Blake. It's, it's called a few things, right? I think it's called the King's Game in some translations. It's, it's <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, um, and it's just um, it's just a very entertaining story about a man who uh, meets an incredible chess player on a boat and decides with a bunch of people they're going to try and team up and, and win a game against him um and yeah it's just uh how would you describe it george it's just an extremely gripping story of these it's kind of almost the philosophy of the game and yeah the you know 
the chess grand like a bit of inside stuff about chess grandmasters but it's uh but yeah it also like really contextualizes kind of early last century europe's history and it's got it's got a lot more under the surface than just two guys playing chess right there's there's more happening behind the scenes to their motives yeah. it's great he writes some amazing novellas i've possibly talked about them before on the podcast there's a a few more, I think Burning Desire, uh, Burning Secret and Desire, all of his novellas. You gifted me the collection of his novellas for a birthday a couple of years ago, and they're, they're fantastic. So, yeah, like, Joe, hilarious, hilarious banter about book length aside that really recommend people to re- read his novellas and chess is probably the pick of the bunch. Um, lovely. Well, I've got another one in the bag, baby. <laughs> um, I'm a... If we're sticking to six each, I'm at my last one, Steve, and I'll um, I'll fire that fire that across the bow right now. I'm I'm going with the Australian novel Picnic at Hanging Rock by Joan Lindsay. It's 196 pages, so I've just squeaked under 200. Um, oh, it's fantastic! Really, really good. It was recently adapted into a BBC television series where they did what I've only described as a job of really sort of sexifying the cast up um, in the novel. The novel is about a a group of, uh, uh, it's kind of Victorian era Australia, and it's about a a kind of upper-class boarding school, and they they go on a day out to Hanging Rock, and a group of the girls go missing, and it's about the fallout from from that and the investigations into it and everything surrounding the events. The boarding school is run by a head, headmistress. In the novel, she must be, if she's 70 years, Steve, she's, she's getting away with youth. You know, she's, she's an old, an old woman in the, in the novel. In the BBC adaptation, they had, um, what's her name? Marjorie Terrell from Game of Thrones. Um, <laughs> right. You know, like the sort of sexy 35 year old. But that's it's, really, that's really different. I know. It was just, it, it wasn't like, oh, we'll get Meryl Streep to do it or something. They really, like, they just, they just cast all, you know, all, um, all, all bets, all bets were off. They just went for it. But that's by the by. It's a fantastic novel. I've not seen the adaptation. I'm, I'm not sure how it is, but it's it's kind of eerie and ominous piece of writing. I found it really unsettling. It's it's kind of scary. Um, it has some, I guess, like supernatural elements without being a ghost story per se. Um, it just captures the world and the mood of sort of Victorian era outback Australia. You know particularly gripping way and it was a real um i don't know what the word is sensation i suppose when it was published i think it was published in the 50s or 60s but it it presents itself to be a true story and i think almost in the way that the film fargo had people going out and looking for you know the buried money or whatever i think the same sort of thing happened with this novel people were looking for this group of missing girls it's completely fictionalized fictionalized wow. account but um yeah really really recommend it i i thought it was great um it's great and what's, sure the title? what's the title picnic at hanging rock and it's by joan Lindsay. all right lovely um okay well i'm gonna do one more um uh can i get i'll give some i'll give a couple of honorable honorable mentions before uh, i, I mean I, we can all bring honorable mentions to the table steve if you're gonna do that i'm gonna do it well, that, that's fine. Um, my my honourable mentions that are sort of almost, I'm just going to say, sort of too obvious to have put in this one um, were obviously The Great Gatsby. I mean, 
probably of the short novels, it's got to be up there with the greatest of them. It's, you know, I mean, there's not a lot to say more about it in that it's probably Fitzgerald's masterpiece. It's about America. It's about ambition. It's about, uh, you know, broken romance and dreaming and all these other things. It's got a lot in there. It's beautifully written. Great Gatsby. You know what it is. Um, and the other is Animal Farm by George Orwell. Ooh. Probably probably the greatest political allegory ever written mm-hmm. uh, that sort of doesn't, doesn't outstay its welcome, is extremely insightful into, even if you didn't know a lot, you were trying to learn about the politics of Russia during Bolshevism. You probably learn a lot by looking at Animal Farm and reading a Wikipedia description about it. Um, yeah, and it's just, uh, it's very clever, very well written. Uh, yeah, just as far as political allegories go, it's kind of perfect. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, uh, the kind of critique of totalitarianism, communism at the time. Um, okay, so my last pick will be... Um, Going to go for The Ghostwriter by Philip Roth, George. Oh, Steve, well done, well chosen. Um, yeah, just, I mean, there's there's so much Philip Roth out there, it can be intimidating if you've never come into contact with him. Um, and there's, there's many great Philip Roth books to choose from. Uh, the Ghostwriter is, you know, part of a wider, there's a whole bunch of books that uh, Philip Roth wrote with his alter ego, Nathan Zuckerman, uh, as the lead character and this is the first one but they don't there's no real need that many of them are just standalone novels there's no need to have to i would say i would say the first four possibly the first five do have some sort of sequential they they do have some but they jump right forward to like 20 years later and it's yeah this is more of a flashback novel right but it because they do mirror philip roth's own arc you have kind of his publishing of the character publishing his equivalent of Portnoy's complaint right that Karnowski and that you know his life is different before and after that's published so yeah I Ghostwriter is just the best place to start yeah so the Ghostwriter is basically him you know Philip Roth almost writing as a character who basically is him but as a young man publishing his first short stories and, and getting published for the first time and he goes to meet one of his great mentors who's this writer he's in awe of um and then it gets into a whole you know i'm not i'm not gonna spoil the plot or anything but it gets into a whole strange uh fictional narrative where one he starts feeling attracted to one of the teacher's pupils uh and it's kind of uh i don't really want to go into it without spoiling anything there's a there's a whole mystery about who she may be basically It's, it's very well done i would say yeah yeah so it's very it's very interesting and like a lot of Philip Roth stuff, there's almost a lot of meditation on what it means to write fiction in and of itself within the novel. Um, so yeah, I think the ghostwriter's a great little pick. If you've, if you haven't touched Philip Roth and you want to have a go, uh, that's not a bad place to start. It's quite an understated one of his. It doesn't get that much attention and it opens up so much of his work that it's, it's like, it's a really considered place to start his writing almost rather than just picking up one of the big prize winners and running with that. I, I'd say you do yourself a lot of justice by starting there. So yeah, that's I think it's, it's a friendlier entry point than certain things like American pastoral or stuff, which can, you know, I think yeah, can they, turn- they make more sense having read something like the ghostwriter and just kind of building up your knowledge of what his, his ambitions and goals of his writing are. Yeah. Um, so Yeah. 
Well, that's great. Um, can I just, I'll, I'll drop a couple more, Steve, because, uh-huh. you know, I won't, I won't go into too much detail, but if I had, not honourable mentions, because I don't think they're any better or worse than the ones I did pick, but um, some others that I, I jotted down that I, I would always champion. Um, Vladimir Nabokov's Pnin, Nin, Pnin, I think. Um, just a, a really funny, great um, novel about a, a, a foreign academic in the US um, scuffling between universities, getting lost, playing croquet, um, just sort of beautiful Nabokovian prose. Uh, yeah, wonderful. I mean, he's, he's probably the best writer of the last century, one of the great writers of all time. So to be able to engage with him with a shorter novel is just a, a wonderful way in. So if, you, if you've not taken on any Nabokov before, then Penin's a beautiful place to start. Absolutely. Um, and... I'm going to give you two others, Steve. Um, A Month in the Country by J.L. Carr. Um, 111 pages, so brief brief as anything. Uh, World War I veteran returns to the countryside to help rebuild a church. I think that's broadly broadly the plot, but a real kind of meditation on loss and um, English pastoral environments and a, a lovely book. And the the last of them, again, just squeaking under the 200-page limit, is A Sport and a Pastime by James Salter about an American, uh, a group of American students in France and in Paris and the kind of surrounding countryside in the 1950s, I think. Um, A very sort of sexy novel. Um, But yeah, a a really great piece of writing, probably his best. He's another one of these kind of great American writers, a bit, maybe a bit similar to someone like Dennis Johnson, doesn't get all the praise of someone like Philip Roth, but is doing some really impressive writing indeed. So yeah, would recommend that to any and everyone as well. Hmm. Beautiful. And I'll, uh, I'll lob one, I'll lob one away as a parting shot. If you, if you're really feeling ambitious and want to go very postmodern and go for something that's gonna, you know, challenge your brain um in a you know just a very odd way uh go for the crying of lot 49 i'll tell you what steve that was that was the other one that i neglected to mention on my list yeah i mean i mean we won't talk about it here it's a very bizarre strange novel couldn't Um, tell you what happens in it if i wanted to to be honest yeah but very short so if you if you want to taste postmodernism without going through a thousand pages of infinite jest um the Crying of Lot 49 by Thomas Pynchon uh, will take your brain there and you can see if it's for you or not. But, uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, very strange, interesting, but funny novel. I, I very much enjoyed it, but it is kind of mad. Yeah, um, yeah. All right. Great stuff. We wanted to keep this short and I think we've spiralled once again, but um, that's not a problem because the content is about brevity and that's really what we're here for. I'll just cut your books out and it'll be <laughs> fine. <laughs> um, all right. Lovely, everyone. Thanks for joining. We'll catch up with you very soon. And keep reading. <laughs> Cheers, guys. See you later. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.